Section 11 of the World's Famous Orations, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Philip Gould. The World's Famous Orations, Volume 2. In Opposition to a New Agrarian Law, Part 2. By Cicero. Footnote. Delivered to the people in the Roman Forum, Cicero's second oration on the same subject, the first having been delivered in the Senate. Translated by Charles Duke Young. Abridged. In footnote. 61 B.C. You have now seen how many things and what valuable things the decemvirs are likely to sell with the sanction of the law. That is not enough. When they have sated themselves with the blood of the allies, and of foreign nations, and of kings, they will then cut the sinews of the Roman people. They will lay hands on your revenues, they will break into your treasury. For a clause follows, in which he is not content with permitting, if by chance any money should be wanting, which, however, can be amassed in such quantities from the effect of the previous clauses that it ought not to be wanting, but which actually, as if that was likely to be the salvation of you all, orders and compels the decemvirs to sell all your revenues, naming each item separately. And do you now read to me in regular order the catalogue of the property of the Roman people which is for sale according to the written provisions of this law? A catalogue which I think, in truth, will be miserable and grievous to the very crier himself. He is as prodigal a spendthrift with regard to the property of the Republic as a private individual is with regard to his own estate, who sells his woods before he sells his vineyards. You have gone all through Italy, now go on into Sicily. There is nothing in that province which your ancestors have left to you as your own property, either in the towns or in the fields, which he does not order to be sold. All that property, which having been gained by their recent victory, your ancestors left to you in the cities and territories of the Allies, as both a bond of peace and a monument of war. Will you now, though you received it from them, sell it at this man's instigation? Here for a moment I seem, O Romans, to move your feelings, while I make plain to you the plots which they think have escaped every one's notice as having been laid by them against the dignity of Gnaeus Pompeius. And I beseech you, pardon me if I am forced to make frequent mention of that man's name. You, Romans, imposed this character on me two years ago in this very same place, and bound me to share with you in the protection of his dignity during his absence, in whatever manner I could. I have hitherto done all that I could, not because I was persuaded to it by my intimacy with him, nor from any hope of honour, or of any most honourable dignity which I have gained by your means in his absence, though no doubt with his perfect good will. Wherefore, when I perceive that nearly the whole of this law is made ready, as if it were an engine for the object of overthrowing his power, I will both resist the designs of the men who have contrived it, and I will enable you not only to perceive, but to be entire masters of the whole plot which I now see in preparation. But I beg you now, O Romans, to take notice how Rullus is planning to besiege and occupy all Italy with his garrison. He permits the decemvirs to lead colonists, whomsoever he may choose to select, into every municipality, and into every colony in all Italy, and he orders lands to be assigned to those colonists. 
Is there any obscurity here in the way in which greater powers and greater defenses than your liberty can tolerate are sought after? Is there any obscurity here in the manner in which kingly power is established? Is there any disguise about your liberty being wholly destroyed? For when it is one and the same body of men who with their resources lay siege, as it were, to all the riches and all the population, that is to say, to all Italy, and who propose to hold all your liberties in blockade by their garrisons and colonies, what hope, ay, what possibility even, is left to you of ever recovering your liberty? But the Campanian district, the most fertile section of the whole world, is to be divided in accordance with the provisions of this law, and a colony is to be led to Capua, a most honorable and beautiful city. But what can we say to this? For this is what I say. If the Campanian land be divided, the common people are driven out of and banished from the lands, not settled and established in them. For the whole of the Campanian district is cultivated and occupied by the common people, and by a most virtuous and moderate common people. And that race of men of most virtuous habits, that race of excellent farmers and excellent soldiers, is wholly driven out by this tribune who is so devoted to the people. And these miserable men, born and brought up on these lands, practiced in tilling the ground, will have no place to which, when so suddenly driven out, they can betake themselves. The entire possession of the Campanian district will be given over to these robust, vigorous, and audacious satellites of the Decemvirs. And as you now say of your ancestors, our ancestors left us these lands, so your posterity will say of you, our ancestors received these lands from their ancestors, but lost them. I think indeed that if the Campus Martins were to be divided, and if every one of you had two feet of standing ground allotted to him in it, still you would prefer to enjoy the whole of it together than for each individual to have a small portion for his own private property. Wherefore, even if some portion of these lands were to come to every individual among you, which is now indeed held out to you as a lure, but is in reality destined for others, still they would be a more honorable possession to you when possessed by the whole body than if distributed in bits to each citizen. But now, when you are not to have any share in them, but when they are being prepared for others and taken from you, will you not most vigorously resist this law as you would an armed enemy fighting in defense of your lands? Then that standard of a Campanian colony, greatly to be dreaded by this empire, will be erected at Capua by the Decemvirs. Then that other Rome, which has been heard of before, will be sought in opposition to this Rome, the common country of all of us. Impious men are endeavoring to transfer our republic to that town, in which our ancestors decided that there should be no republic at all, when they resolved that there were but three cities in the whole earth, Carthage, Corinth, and Capua, which could aspire to the power and name of the imperial city. Carthage has been destroyed, because, both from its vast population and from the natural advantages of its situation, being surrounded with harbors and fortified with walls, it appeared to project out of Africa, and to threaten the most productive islands of the Roman people. Of Corinth there is scarcely a vestige left, for it was situated on the straits and in the very jaws of Greece, in such a way that by land it held the keys of many countries, 
and that it almost connected two seas, equally desirable for purposes of navigation, which were separated by the smallest possible distance. These towns, though they were out of the sight of the empire, our ancestors not only crushed, but as I have said before, utterly destroyed, that they might never be able to recover and rise again and flourish. Concerning Capua they deliberated much and long. Public documents are extant, O Romans, many resolutions of the Senate are extant. Those wise men decided that if they took away from the Campanians their lands, their magistrates, their senate, and the public council of that city, they would leave no image whatever of the Republic, there would be no reason whatever for their fearing Capua. Therefore you will find this written in ancient records, that there should be a city which might be able to supply the means for the cultivation of the Campanian district, that there should be a place for collecting the crops in and storing them, in order that the farmers, when wearied with the cultivation of the lands, might avail themselves of the homes afforded them by the city, and that on that account the buildings of the city were not destroyed. See now how wide is the distance between the councils of our ancestors and the insane projects of these men. They chose Capua to be a refuge for our farmers, a market for the country people, a barn and granary for the Campanian district. These men, having expelled the farmers, have wasted and squandered your revenues, are raising this same Capua into the seat of a new republic, are preparing a vast mass to be an enemy to the old republic. But if our ancestors had thought that any one in such an illustrious empire, in such an admirable constitution as that of the Roman people, would have been like Marcus Brutus or Publius Rullus, for these are the only two men whom we have hitherto seen, who have wished to transfer all this republic to Capua, they would not in truth have left even the name of that city in existence. But they thought that in the case of Corinth and Carthage, even if they had taken away their senates and their magistrates and deprived the citizens of the lands, still men would not be wanting who would restore those cities and change the existing state of things in them before we could hear of it. But here, under the very eyes of the Senate and Roman people, they thought that nothing could take place which might not be put down and extinguished before it had got to any head, or had assumed any definite shape. Nor did that matter deceive those men, endued as they were with divine wisdom and prudence. For after the consulship of Quintus Fulvius and Quintus Fabius, by whom when they were consuls Capua was defeated and taken, I will not say that there has been nothing done, but nothing has been even imagined in that city against this republic. Many wars have been waged since that time with kings, with Philip, and Antiochus, and Perses, and Pseudo-Philippus, and Aristonicus, and Mithridates, and others. Many terrible wars have existed besides, the Carthaginian, the Corinthian, and the Numantian wars. There have been also many domestic seditions which I pass over. There have been wars with our allies, the Fragellan War, the Marsic War, in all which domestic and foreign wars Capua has not only not been any hindrance to us, but has afforded us most seasonable assistance in providing the means of war, in equipping our armies, and receiving them in their houses and homes. There were no men in the city who by evil disposed assemblies, by turbulent resolutions of the Senate, or by unjust exertions of authority, threw the Republic into confusion, and sought pretexts for revolution. 
for no one had any power of summoning an assembly or of convening any public council. Men were not carried away by any desire for renown, because where there are no honors publicly conferred, there can be no covetous desire of reputation. They were not quarreling with one another out of rivalry or out of ambition, for they had nothing left to quarrel about. They had nothing which they could seek for in opposition to one another. They had no room for dissensions. Therefore it was in accordance with a deliberate system, and with real wisdom, that our ancestors changed the natural arrogance and intolerable ferocity of the Campanians into a thoroughly inactive and lazy tranquillity and by this means they avoided the reproach of cruelty, because they did not destroy from off the face of Italy a most beautiful city, and they provided well for the future, in that having cut out all the sinews of the city, they left the city itself enfeebled and disabled. Ought we not to think that those men who foresaw all these things, Romans, ought to be venerated and worshipped by us, and classed almost in the number of the immortal gods? For what was it which they saw? they saw this, which I entreat you now to remark and take notice of. Manners are not implanted in men so much by the blood and family, as by those things which are supplied by the nature of the plan toward forming habits of life, by which we are nourished and by which we live. The Carthaginians, a fraudulent and lying nation, were tempted to a fondness for deceiving by a desire of gain, not by their blood, but by the character of their situation because, owing to the number of their harbors, they had frequent intercourse with merchants and foreigners. The Ligurians, being mountaineers, are a hardy and rustic tribe. The land itself taught them to be so by producing nothing which was not extracted from it by skillful cultivation and by great labor. The Campanians were always proud from the excellence of their soil, and the magnitude of their crops, and the healthiness and position and beauty of their city. From that abundance and from this affluence in all things, in the first place, originated those qualities, arrogance which demanded of our ancestors that one of the consuls should be chosen from Capua, and in the second place, that luxury which conquered Hannibal himself by pleasure, who up to that time had proved invincible in arms. When those decemvirs shall, in accordance with the law of Rullus, have led six hundred colonists to that place, when they shall have established there a hundred decurions, ten augurs, and ten priests, what do you suppose their courage, and violence, and ferocity will be then? They will laugh at and despise Rome, situated among mountains and valleys, stuck up, as it were, and raised aloft amid garrets, with not very good roads, and with very narrow streets, in comparison with their own Capua, stretched out along a most open plain and in comparison of their own beautiful thoroughfares. And as for the lands, they will not think the Vatican or Papinian district fit to be compared at all to their fertile and luxuriant plains. And all the abundance of neighboring towns which surround us they will compare in laughter and scorn with their neighbors. They will compare Labici, Fidenza, Colatia, even Lanuvium itself, and Arecia, and Tusculum with Calus, and Tianum, and Naples, and Puteoli, and Cumai, and Pompeii, and Nucaria. By all these things they will be elated and puffed up, perhaps not at once, but certainly when they have got a little more age and vigor they will not be able to restrain themselves. They will go on further, and further, 
A single individual, unless he be a man of great wisdom, can scarcely, when placed in situations of great wealth or power, contain himself within the limits of propriety. Much less will those colonists, sought out and selected by Rullus, and others like Rullus, when established at Capua, in that abode of pride and in the very home of luxury, refrain from immediately contracting some wickedness and iniquity. Ay, and it will be much more the case with them than with the old genuine Campanians, because they were born and trained up in a fortune which was theirs of old, but were deprived by a too great abundance of everything. But these men, being transferred from the most extreme indigence to a corresponding affluence, will be affected not only by the extent of their riches, but also by the strangeness of them. I do not wonder that you, men of such folly and intemperance as you are, should have desired these things. I do marvel that you should have hoped that you could obtain them while I am consul. For as all consuls ought to exercise the greatest care and diligence in the protection of the Republic, so above all others ought they to do so who have not been made consuls in their cradles, but in the campus. No ancestors of mine went bail to the Roman people for me. You gave credit to me. It is from me that you must claim what I am bound to pay. All your demands must be made on me. As when I stood for the consulship, no authors of my family recommended me to you. So if I commit any fault, there are no images of my ancestors which can beg me off from you. Wherefore, if only life be granted me, as far as I can, I will defend the state from the wickedness and insidious designs of those men. I promise you this, O Romans, with good faith. You have entrusted the Republic to a vigilant man, not to a timid one, to a diligent man, not to an idle one. I am consul. How should I fear an assembly of the people? How should I be afraid of the tribunes of the people? How should I be frequently or causelessly agitated? How should I fear, lest I may have to dwell in a prison, if a tribune of the people orders me to be led thither? For I, armed with your arms, adorned with your most honorable ensigns, and with command and authority conferred by you, have not been afraid to advance into this place, and with you for my backers, to resist the wickedness of man. Nor do I fear lest the Republic, being fortified with such strong protection, may be conquered or overwhelmed by those men. If I had been afraid before, still, now, with this assembly and this people, I should not fear. For whoever had an assembly so well inclined to hear him while advocating an agrarian law, as I have had while arguing against one? If indeed I can be said to be arguing against one, and not rather upsetting and destroying one. From which, Romans, it may be easily understood that there is nothing so popular as that which I, the consul of the people, am this year bringing to you. Namely, peace, tranquillity, and ease. All the things which, when we were elected, you were afraid might happen, have been guarded against by my prudence and caution. You not only will enjoy ease, you who have always wished for it, but I will even make those men quiet to whom our quiet has been a source of annoyance. End of section 11. Recording by Philip Gould.